right. I think we are starting here. <laughs> Another yeah. great episode of yeah. Finding Peaks Recovery Center. Checks out. As your host, nailed that introduction. Yeah, that's a, <laughs> so, a soft launch right there. It was, that was a, great. easing I'm, into it. It's powerful. Really. Yeah. It's powerful. I'm just, Playing with a few different intros like yeah. that. Oh, we've 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 just started. Yeah. Oh. oh you just came into our living. That's yeah. surprised. Yeah. Oh, look. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, let us know finding finding peaks at peaksrecovery.com if that works for you, the viewers. Right. Likely not. Jason told me to do it. <laughs> Sitting here today with a friend, colleague, yep. Chief Operating Officer Clint Nicholson. Everybody. Pleasure. Pleasure. And Chief Clinical Officer Jason Friesma. Everybody, welcome back to the show. Yeah. We were intending to do uh, a show today with the doctors about medication-assisted treatment, but that's coming to you now in the future because they got a little bit busy today. So here we are. So we are going to talk about treatment modalities today, cognitive behavioral therapy, motivational interviewing, when to insert it, when not to do it. Um, kind of as an introduction to this, you know, because I like to build on a little story each and every time. It's kind of my approach. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Stay awake this time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fully um, but present. Going yeah. back, uh, we did a podcast long, long time ago with a special friend of ours, uh, Dr. Stephen Alardi, who's a professor at a uh, university in Kansas, I believe is the university that he's working at. Mm -hmm. And he does a lot of research on depressive uh, disorders, major depressive episodes, and so forth. Um, check him out online. He's got a lot of great videos. Um, but he did a little podcast session with us. And I think he was talking about how Oh, to resolve a major depressive or disorder as a single diagnosis uh, code set in that regard, using strictly cognitive behavioral therapy, it takes up to 90 days to resolve the issue in individual therapy sessions as an intervention. Okay, mm -hmm. so taking a step back from that data sounds powerful, um, but in a 45-day stabilization model such as Peaks Recovery Centers or a 90-day recovery program, um, over time, we are dealing with very complex individuals, substance use disorder, major depressive, ep uh, major depressive episodes, psychosis, mania, a lot of varying diagnosis for the individuals that we treat at any given time. So it doesn't feel reasonable just to launch into a cognitive behavioral therapy and that's all we're going to do you know, at, a, at yeah. a center like ours or within any um, early short-term you know, recovery episode in that regard. So just curious about mainly where to start with this, but also, uh, yeah. but also too, how do we, because families are, are, you know, all of addiction treatment centers websites are saying evidence-based evidence practices. Well, if yeah. it takes 90 days just to do nine, you know, a major depressive, clean that up a little bit, then what are we doing with all the other diagnoses? Doesn't seem to really fit into what we're trying to do in stabilization phases. So maybe just mm -hmm. as a broad approach to this, why, why don't we just use a single approach to therapy through the first 45 days at peaks like cognitive behavioral therapy? Yeah, I think that's fair. And I, and I refer back to some of our other podcasts that we've done where people come into peaks and probably enter any residential program at a different place. Everybody mm -hmm. um, has varying degrees of motivation and uh, a wider range of symptoms that they're dealing with. And so... If somebody comes into our program and really they aren't even sure if they would like to be sober or if they'd like to make changes to their life at all, jumping straight into CBT, I, CBT does require a little bit of buy-in from somebody. They need to kind of be interested and motivated to change. And so 
Um, if somebody isn't quite yet motivated to make some changes, other approaches like motivational interviewing, as you might suspect, um, would be a better approach in those instances. And, and those modality, that modality particularly is designed to help um, clients move from that starting line of like, maybe I want to change, maybe I don't, or I don't want to change, and get them to, okay, I'm ready to change. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> people are complex, you know, like the, even a single diagnosis like, um, like major depressive disorder, like that has many, so many factors to it that I even think a CBT in a 90-day model would be really difficult to completely um, resolve like a major depressive episode. I think the idea of being eclectic in your approach is probably, I mean, if you think about complexity and then being eclectic is gonna allow you to be able to meet all of the different needs at different times. Because like Jason said, like in one moment you may have somebody who's highly motivated to, to move forward and make these changes in, in a more um, sort of, I don't know, confrontational approach like CBT might be really effective. But if you have somebody who's still on the fence to go in there and say, hey, well, you know, actually your thought patterns are not, are, are this, but they need to be or should be, or could perhaps look like this, they're gonna be like, what the hell are you talking about? You know, they're not even gonna be able to hear you. So being able to, I mean, my personal approach, I like to go in with a little bit of MI, and then slide in with the CBT, and then you do a little bit of solution focused on top of that, and you get a nice little sandwich there as far as uh, treatment modalities go. But you have to first and foremost meet the client where they are. Yeah. And if you're not paying attention to that, then no matter what, treatment approach you have, no matter what intervention strategies you're using, you're going to miss the mark. So. Well, I think what's interesting, and I don't know about your program, um, but <laughs> the, the program that we both work in? <clears throat> no, no. Oh, the, the master's the, program. The master's okay. program, sorry. Right, I, I'm aware of <laughs> the program we both work yeah, okay, in. Yeah, uh, like, huh. <laughs> but I do think, you know, we were trained to pick one modality. Absolutely. Um, yeah, as yeah. clinicians, yeah. Uh, and to stick with it, and the word you know, to take an amalgamation of these different tools and combine them, have an eclectic approach um, was pretty heretical, actually, to a master's program. Right. And then you enter the real world with real people, yeah. and you can't, if you only have a hammer, <laughs> the world looks like a nail. Isn't that the saying? And, yeah. like, you have to have a lot of other tools on the tool belt, I think, um, in order to approach clients in a sophisticated way. Yeah, absolutely. I remember being in grad school thinking like, oh, I'm never going to use CBT. I'm an existential yeah. therapist. <laughs> well, that lasted about three days. I, so. I know. Yeah. I'm pulling the gestalt. Yeah. So, I don't know what that's going to Really, do, really taking yeah. it back. So cognitive behavioral therapy to me is you're sitting in a room as a therapeutic intervention. Individual has one reality, seemingly not a true reality in this moment. <laughs> the practitioner has an alternative reality and that's more aligned with the world for the way that it is. And the goal then is through that rapport building mechanism to help them see the better framework of reality and to move in and lean into that. Um, is that accurate? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's a good representation of it for the most part. Like, basically people have cognitive distortions. They aren't thinking as clearly as maybe they could. And, um, and there are a variety of techniques in CBT to begin to uh, challenge and, or reframe thinking. Yeah, basically. pretty much it, yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's a lens, it's just somewhat distorted, right? Like there's just a, I don't know, a smudge on the lens and, and you're there to sort of say, well, what if you wipe the smudge away? Then what, then what does the world look like? So 
And you're, so you're, not only are you highlighting that, hey, you might have a smudge on your lens, you're also presenting them with alternatives to what the world may look like without that smudge. Yeah, and, and I know one of your big um, beliefs, and I believe rightfully so, is that um, to do good clinical work is to engage with your own clinical work in that regard. Because mm -hmm. when I think about a practitioner who's not well themselves, their alternative reality could be, in a sense, a liability yeah. um, mm -hmm. in that regard if they're not working on themselves and accurately seen in that way, too. Does, is that, um, it, or what I'm stating about that seemingly true within cognitive behavioral therapy? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think it's true. Right, it, it, if you're kind of carrying your own cognitive distortions into a therapy session, it can be hard to help other people yeah. out with that. Clinton mentioned solution-focused, um, which really entails helping uh, clients come up with solutions that they mm -hmm. can come upon themselves. And I, I find that clinicians that haven't done their own work just get use that as an opportunity to say, solution focus is focusing on my solutions for you. Right, which absolutely. It feels a lot yeah. more like parenting. Or telling, yeah. right? Yeah, Rather or just than, yeah. telling people. And like the Bob Newhart video, just like stop it. Like yeah. it, it, it requires more nuance than that quite frequently right. to yeah. help people change behavior. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it does. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Occasionally, the Bob Newhart approach works, which yeah. is just, well, you feel sad, you should it, stop that. I yeah. do think, too, that CBT, in the, in the, the, a big reason you know, that Dr. Alardi uses it and that it is an evidence-based model, because it is a pretty um, regimented and structured mm -hmm. model. And so when we're using eclectic approaches, like that's hard to do a clinical study on. And so when people are doing clinical studies, you have to kind of get into that lane and stick to the parameters of that lane. Um, and so that is why that appears a lot, I think, in, in studies. And so in practice, like that is definitely a tool that is important to pull out from the toolbox, but we have the ability to, to get out of that, just that modality too, and be able to use other tools um, clinically as needed. Does that make yeah. sense too? I, I, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean it's, um, I don't know, the more options you have, then the more opportunity you have to address what's actually happening in the moment. Yeah, I think that if you're too focused on trying to, I don't know, like force uh, modality into the moment, you, f you miss things. Like you, um, and I've seen that a lot with, uh, especially like newer clinicians who are focused on, who use a lot of worksheets and handouts and stuff. I think that they, you, you kind of come in with an agenda of like, oh, my goal is to get through this worksheet. And so as you're going through that worksheet, somebody may make a comment that you're gonna miss because your whole focus is just like, oh, I just need to get back to this worksheet. So, and I think that that can happen if you're too focused on one specific clinical modality. I think the ability to, um, to know when it's appropriate to pull which evidence-based practice is actually the sort of art of being a therapist. Like that's the art of being a good counselor is knowing when to pull what tool out and, um, and then being able to use it really effectively. Because so, there's so many good, I mean, there's a, there's a time and a place for everything. You know, CBT is an amazing modality when it's time to use CBT, right? Solution focused, like Jason said, like it's not really solution focused if you're just giving people answers mm -hmm. or if you're telling them what to do. Like that's not a solution, that's mm -hmm. a tell, you know? Um, so I think that there are, um, it, it really comes down to sort of the skill of the clinician and really being able to pay attention to the moment and really hear and recognize what the needs of the client are in that moment in order. Um, it, I think that that is really actually what the whole, I don't know, that, like I said, that's the art of being a therapist. That's where it really comes into play. Yeah. So. And then, so taking one step back to ping that MI language, that motivational interviewing 
um, as a therapeutic intervention modality, however we seek to, to put it in this framework, um, is that the most tactful sort of maybe first time approach that is often taken or, um, or is there something a little bit more preliminary to motiva motivational interviewing that's? Well, mo it, motivational interviewing in and of itself is actually a person-centered, it's mm -hmm. an offshoot of person-centered therapy. Yeah. And so all that means, all person-centered means too is that like you hold the person in unconditional positive regard and you build a rapport with them and, and, then, um, and then the therapeutic journey goes from there. So like, it, it's kind of implied within MI. Med, I think motivational interviewing is where you meet people where they are. Um, and so I, to me, that is the first tool I usually pull out of the toolbox, unless they're well down the path of like taking action and, and doing a lot more introspection and other things that are available for that. But you know, helping somebody walk through the ambivalence of like, do I want to change or do I not want to change? Um, that's just where motivational interviewing is a really natural uh, tool to pull out, in my opinion. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think it's a good place to start. It's some people sit in it a little bit longer than others. It's I don't tend to stay in that space mm -hmm. for very long because um, I, I mean, I believe that counseling is about change, right? Like that's the goal is to change. And so to sit in space and um, but you have to get that buy in first, like Jason yeah. said, you have to record. You have to be able to recognize and understand, well, what is the person's actual willingness to make this change? And so from that point, once you've identified that, then you can start moving on into these other different modalities. You know, and you have CBT, um, you have trauma-informed care, which is, again, another sort of person-centered approach that really focuses on building safety and rapport and relationships. I mean, you have, uh, you know, even relapse prevention strategies, uh, DVT, um, ACT. I mean, there are all of these different you know, modalities that you can start to pull from once you know where that person is. And at that point, that's when you start to, to pull, from, pull out of your toolbox and start implementing these different strategies based on where that individual is in the moment. So. And then, but and certainly, like when I'm working with our clinical team, at the core of all of this, honestly, is our relationship with our client. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Like, yeah. I can have the best tools and know CBT in and out and right. DBT and all of that, but if I don't have the relationship, if I don't have that connection with a client, none of that matters, to be honest right. with you. Like, um, if, if I don't have that buy-in, right? And, and that is the part I think um, that's hard to measure and you can't really see it. Um, it. It is felt, which I know you guys love. Like it's a- It's a feeling. It's a, it's a feeling, it's a- Explain that. Yeah, I know. It, I know what it's confusing. Yeah, It'll be a different episode. Um, I'll be in that seat. But like, I, right. I do think. Uh, but I think that's the magic sauce that connects all of this. Absolutely. Um, and allows uh, you, you know. And I, I was thinking too, back to the CBT thing. Like, I find CBT to kind of be a front door approach with clients. Like, you, it's it's has a high face value. Like, you, it's clear what you're doing. It's clear what you're asking a client to do. And it's clear where you're trying to take the session. And some clients love that, and it's really great. Others put walls right there, and you have to find an, another tool. And, and I know we joked about Gestalt, but pull your addiction out of your body, put it on this chair, let's talk to it and see what it's saying to you. It sounds, it can sound r ridiculous to people who don't like that, but like to other people, it's this freedom of to have a conversation over here with my addiction. And that is an entire diff entirely different modality. Absolutely. Yeah. No, but I, I mean, yeah, to Jason's point, I mean, a lot of 
I like to tell a lot of new counselors that, you know, about 95% of being a good counselor is actually just being like a decent human being, you know, being a good listener, yeah. being emotionally present, not judging them. And that really like takes the wind out of their sails because they just spent 50 grand on a master's degree. So, but really it is yeah. like, it's about being a decent person because that relationship, that initial connection, that trust is the foundation of everything. And if you don't have that, if you can't make that connection, if you can't show up genuinely and authentically as a human being in those moments, like Jason said, you can have all the shiny new tools in the world, but I mean, if you don't have a house to work on, then what's the point? Right. right. Yeah. Right. When you said a really important word, which was authentically, because when I talk to new counselors, I say that as well, but I also say, and it's so important that you be yourself. Yeah. Wow. Right, that authenticity. Like you can't fake rapport. Clients no. smell it a mile away. Right. The right. younger, the, the keener the sense of smell in my experience. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So as a, and, and of course there is DBT, dialectical behavioral therapy. So there's a what variety of acronyms, a variety of different ways that we can go about this. Um, but as an, as an early sort of stabilization therapeutic intervention, what are like the top three that are used most often? I think we've discussed two of them. Is there I, I mean, I actually think it's MI, CBT, and DBT. Okay. I think those are the three, yeah. truthfully. Okay, then what is dialectical behavioral therapy? So that is really about um, helping people get out of the extremes of emotions and, and finding um, uh, and not being driven by emotion. DBT is super helpful um, when people, well, it's, it's almost a training for helping people manage and regulate their emotions. Mm -hmm. um, because obviously in the case of substance use and even in the case of mental health issues, um, the emotions are regulated by other things, and so um, when people begin to get healthy, emotions can, can be overwhelming, or some, a lot of times people just walk in with overwhelmed emotions. And being taught um, distress tolerance and emotional regulation um, and, and kind of how to access the wise mind, if you will, uh, the part of the brain where I can just kind of observe what's happening and not be so reactive to it. Um, I think that's a really fundamental part of a, uh, of a stabilization process. Yeah, I, I mean, the, my three are a little, I, I like to focus, I, I guess I consider DBT a form of mindfulness. So, um, so I, I would think that mindfulness would actually be a primary. Uh, I do think that CBT is a primary, MI is a primary, but I would also say that solution focused, at least for me personally, is I'm a pretty solution focused guy. Because um, in the end, we're looking for solutions. So it's a matter of, being able to get to that place of um, safety where you can start to explore those and actually make some headway. But you do have to have buy-in uh, as part of the foundational process of it. So, um, But yeah, those would be my go-tos. And I think it's gonna be different for every counselor, to be quite honest. You know, um, But MI is almost always gonna be a part of it. Because again, if you don't know where the person is in their journey, then how in the heck are you gonna meet them there? Mm -hmm. so. So now I'm thinking of this clinical sort of ninja, right? Slicing yeah. somebody with a little MI, mm -hmm. and then when it gets, you know, a little bit outside of where MI needs to is taking it, then you know maybe hit it with the CBT or uh, the DBT in that right. regard, and just, you know, kind of as you go, you're offering the therapeutic intervention, um, these modalities um, in real time, and the practitioner. Success is their ability to know when to pull those out within the toolkit, right? right? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, in in this regard, so uh, as we kind of 
um, come to a conclusion here because what, what's happening with these evidence-based practices is they set up you know, the group setting and they put the practitioner in the middle of it and then they get all of these people to show up to it and then they just drive through it. It sounds like though there's an outcome and an opportunity to say these are evidence-based practices, I don't think those evidence-based trials are intending to say, now just go out and do CBT for the next 90 days. Yeah. I think all they're trying to point at in a real strict sense of things is that when you use it, it does work. And, but the trials mm -hmm. are just gonna strictly focus on the CBT, is that inaccurate? I think that's exactly yeah. uh, what we're trying to say, yes. Cool, yeah, because cool. yeah, on the admissions line, you know, at Peaks and working at people constantly, well, what evidence-based modalities do you, and I think they're thinking about it in this strict tone of like, Johnny's got major depressive disorders, so I better hear you guys hitting him with the CBT, but right. if we can't engage with rapport, and if we can't move past um, ambivalence, you know, through MI, then CBT, DBT, these therapies seem right. way out in the distance. Absolutely, yeah, if somebody comes in, they say, you're, I'm depressed, and you say, no, you're not, then that's, <laughs> that's <laughs> I mean, it. you can try that, but it's probably not gonna work. <laughs> no, yeah. Bad yeah, CBT. That's, yeah, yeah, you're looking through the wrong lens. Yeah, you're perfectly happy, so it's yeah. like, no, that's, that's bad CBT, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Good example. And you can do that, you can say that over and over again for 90 days and it wouldn't work, so. <laughs> right, right, <Yeah>. awesome. <laughs> well, I, Honestly, when we started this, didn't think talking about these modalities would be so much fun, but I had a great time and yeah. um, really appreciate you guys' investment and getting everybody uh, access to this information with a little bit greater understanding, hopefully, about how these work, how it's happening in real time, and that when we think about trials and studies and those sorts of things, they're just pointing at its efficacy, not that it needs to be delivered in that time-constrained right. Um, setting as well too. There's a lot of other complexities that we could talk about with trials um, and for how we've arrived at these evidence-based practices, but for a future episode in that regard. So, uh, love you guys. Love you too. Yeah, good discussion. Yeah. So, yeah. I think we motivationally interviewed you. Like yeah. you Did shifted we? a little bit. Yeah, oh, yeah. He, he said he came in expecting it to be a little dull and boring and we tipped the scales to right. Being an engaging experience. And that's that clinical magic. That's, yeah, I know, that's what that master's yeah. degree is about. You don't, you don't yeah, know right. it's happening to you. You just walk away a little bit better each and Clint every time. Clint and I are really hosting this. But yeah, like, right. <laughs> we just let you think you're We're hosting this. <laughs> oh, you Jedi therapist. So yeah, absolutely. The force is strong with you both. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thanks again for joining us here on another Finding uh, Peaks episode. It's great, as always, to be in this host chair. It's great to be joined by... Yeah. Two wonderful, great uh, professionals in this industry, great friends of mine as well, too. Uh, until next time, check us out on the Instagram, the Facebooks, the podcasts, yeah. the Twitters. I don't know if we do TikTok? Twitter. TikTok. I don't even know if that's If anything, yeah. finding peaks at peaksrecovery.com. Please give us your ideas, your thoughts, Instagram. things you would love to hear Spotify. us talk about in the future. And uh, until next time, thanks for joining us.